0: Good morning everyone and welcome to Raised Evangelical. My name is Stephanie McCown and I'll be your host and I have with me today my good friend Kayla Jo. Kayla, how are you? Hi Stephanie, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. It's a pretty nice day here. Um I'm I'm getting adjusted to my son being back in school. I homeschooled him for a while and he went back this week and that's been a huge adjustment for me. Oh, wow.
1: Do you feel like you have a lot of free time?
0: <laughs> I do. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I, I but,
1: understand that
0: feeling. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a good feeling. It's yeah. just an adjustment.
1: <laughs> Definitely. I homeschooled for a while too. And I pulled my kids in and out of public school because as an evangelical, I was so afraid that the public schools were evil because my dad had always said that putting me there would be throwing me to the wolves. So when I was taking that step to put my kids there, oh, it was, it was anxiety provoking. (laughs) That would be in
0: a different place. So, right. I mean, yeah, I remember hearing that a lot. I mean, I wasn't homeschooled as I grew up, but it was made Mm -hmm. very clear to me that public schools were, um, not considered a safe place, and we had to always be diligent to right. speak up for Jesus and, yeah. and resist the world and stuff. <laughs> yes,
1: I wasn't homeschooled, I was Christian school, preschool okay. through five years of college. So, oh wow, was still sheltered.
0: <laughs> wow, that must have been an experience in itself. I mean, and, and we'll talk about all of this as we go along, but that had to have been kind of jarring when you came out of that bubble and saw that there's a whole world out here you know
1: it took me 37 years but once I realized that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's really really crushing yeah and free at the same time
0: absolutely I mean okay so we can get started with that so your history with evangelicalism it's it sounds like was um you know like you were steeped in it from all directions it wasn't just church it was everything
1: It was definitely everything. I was born into a Christian family and um, I had great Christian parents. Like you could tell that they were doing the best, that they knew they loved me wholeheartedly. They were doing everything they could to protect me and make sure I turned out the way I was supposed to be for God. And so I know that it was done out of love. And I I preface all this with that because I hope they hear this someday and so that they can help understand. I know that they love me and I love them. And here's what happened, and it's okay, if that right. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I was born into a Christian family, and um, I was in church from the time I was an infant all the way through a year ago, wow. when the, whenever the doors were open. So, yeah, um, I don't know where you if you want me to just keep going from there or if you have another. Yeah, story. you
0: can. I mean, what was that like for you? Um, because I, I mean, I, my parents, I, you know, have always gone to church and I was born into it. Um, my grandparents were pastors, so it was, yeah. And, um, like I went to the same Bible college that my parents went to, but I don't think that my experience was quite as sheltered as yours because I did go to public school. So, I mean, what awareness did you have of the world outside of the evangelical bubble?
1: I had, I pretty much had none. Like I knew that they were bad and they were enemies of God. And so they were my enemies too. And my job was to um, save them and tell them about Jesus so they could go to heaven someday because God loved everybody. But unless you, you know, he loves unconditionally, but unless you love him back, then, he won't save you. <laughs> and yeah. so if I didn't tell those people about Jesus, I was told their blood was on my hands and I was responsible for them going to hell someday. Sure. Um, and so I've known that as far back as I can remember. I know that when I was two or three, I used to come home from church on Sundays, run ahead of my parents, go hide under my high chair and ask Jesus into my heart again every Sunday. Cause I was so afraid that it didn't take before. Right. And I was terrified of going to hell. And a couple of months ago, my mom actually told me she was reading through my baby book. And when I was three years old, I had told her, mom, I hope I don't be bad anymore. Yeah. And for a three-year-old, <laughs> to yeah. say that, I'm just like, wow. So yeah. I spent my entire life terrified that I didn't pray the right words to go to heaven and that I wasn't being good enough um, because we were also told that, yeah. Um, you, when you're saved, you don't want to sin anymore. And so every time I messed up and disobeyed mom or dad, I was afraid, well, maybe I'm not saved if I was able to do that or talk back. Or since I got a spanking, you know, maybe, maybe I need to be saved again, just in case to cover all my bases. So I lived in a state of, um, my nervous system being constantly up, up, up regulated, but thinking that was normal.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's been a pretty common experience for a lot of people, especially coming out of like any kind of charismatic evangelical culture. Um, because I got a lot of the same messages too. I didn't quote witness to people that their blood was on my hands and I was responsible if they ultimately ended up in hell because I didn't tell them about Jesus. And I remember from a very young age feeling that like I just wasn't ever going to be good enough for God to love me. But I hoped that if I prayed the right prayer and, and behaved the best that I could, that maybe I would just squeak by and I'd get into heaven anyway. And I did the same things up until, gosh, I had to have been probably in my twenties before I stopped doing the whole rededicating my life to Jesus every yeah. time I was in church. You know, Because that fear, when they put that fear in you that if you were to die right now and your your heart was not right with God, you would go to hell, yeah. that is a, it's a poison. I mean, and it just seeps into every part of your life. And when you've heard it you know, from the time you were tiny, yeah. that's all you know. I
1: remember shaking through those altar calls all the time, yeah. knowing that, okay, I haven't done anything wrong that I'm aware of, but right. what if I did, or I did talk back to mom and dad then, you know. Uh, or yesterday or whatever, maybe, you know, I need to get right with God. And there was so
0: much pressure. So there was, yeah. Yeah. And they would take normal child, you know, childhood behaviors and turn them into these, you know, deal breakers with God. You know, you sassed your mom, like literally every other child on the planet has done at least once. Um, Well, that means that if you don't get right with God, you're going to go to hell, you know? Yeah. And, I think about it now and it's just so horrifying to me. I couldn't imagine telling that, you know, telling my son that, but like you, I also recognize, you know, my parents love me and I love them and I, I don't think they intended any harm, but like you said, here's what happened. Right. Right. Yeah, um, even
1: though, I mean, even though I don't intend harm on my kids, they're going to need a therapist when they're older, just because, Yeah, <laughs> you know, that your interpretation and perspective on everything, and we are not perfect parents. I hope they get the help that they need, you know, to work through whatever. Right. And I hope they'll come to me and I will apologize. I apologize to them all the time. Yeah, and, and That's one thing that I didn't get growing up is the adults were always right. They don't apologize. Yeah. And I was always wrong. It was always my fault.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Um, I grew up very much the same way. And children were supposed to be seen and not heard. And children were not worthy of respect. They were just supposed to, you know, follow orders. And if they didn't, then they were in rebellion. Um, and yep. I do the same, you know, with my son. He's allowed to come to me with stuff. You know, if I've done something that um, a- he interpreted as disrespectful to him as a person, or um, if I've hurt his feelings or, you know, anything across the spectrum that made him feel less than in any way, he's allowed to tell me that, and he's not going to get in trouble. And, you know, there is a way to, and I don't get it right all the time by any means, but if, you know, (laughs) there is a way to uh, raise your children to be respectful and understand boundaries without making them feel like they're less than human, just to get them to obey you. Yes. And, you know, I've noticed with myself because of the way that I was brought up, um, you know, I was never prepared to be the kind of parent that my son needs. And I'm sure you know how that feels. It's like you see the stuff you're doing sometimes and and it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm repeating the same patterns, even though I didn't mean to. (laughs) <laughs> yes. You know. So, you know, I think that um growing up that way it, it definitely leaves a mark.
1: It does. And um, it's definitely different parenting on this side of yes. religion. It's a whole new ball game for your entire life.
0: It, <laughs> is. it is. And you know, um we talk about that a lot on this show, how when you're an evangelical, whether it's a charismatic evangelical or what have you you really are given kind of a, a very detailed roadmap of what your life is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And there's a prescription for almost every area of your life. And then, so when you come out of that, um, it's, you know, you might feel lost because there's nobody telling you anymore what you're supposed to do here. Right. And parenting is a big one because in the circles that I traveled as an evangelical, there was never discussion of, you know, just because someone is younger than you and smaller than you, it doesn't diminish them as a human being. But, right. you know, it was always about discipline and making sure that they're adhering to, um, you know, God's word. And if you need to spank them occasionally to make that, you know, the more likely outcome, then that's what you have to do. And there was just never discussion of children as whole and complete human beings all on their own.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I actually had a pastor that said, if your child isn't obeying, you need to spank them harder. Oh my gosh. And... Which is horrifying to hear. <laughs> that that <laughs> I mean,
1: doesn't work. <laughs> it
0: doesn't. And you know, when my son was little, I tried spanking and it never, it was never effective. And all it did was make me feel guilty. Right. And it confused him because it's like, you're saying you love me, but then you're raising a hand to me and hurting me. Right. And I, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't make sense. Right. You are know? you telling
1: me, hit or kick my siblings and now you're hitting
0: me (laughs) right right it doesn't make it okay just because we're the adults you know and I know that a lot of people will disagree with that and maybe some who are going to be listening to this but that's fine I mean you don't have to agree with me I know my own experience um with my with my own upbringing and with my child and I just don't think that at least in so far as I've seen that spanking is effective in anything but making your child afraid of you
1: Right, it definitely produces fear, which gets you know them the desired result, the parents the desired results that they want, but that's not out of love.
0: That's no. out of fear. The
1: child's obeying.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of how evangelicalism works too. I mean, I I know very few people. I don't know if I really know any people who adhere to the teachings of evangelicalism because they believe that they are loved and cared for, and this is what's best for them. A lot of people are driven by the fear of hell. And mm-hmm. so when you're getting that message that this God who supposedly loves you unconditionally and has done everything in your life because he loves you, um, I guess it's pretty easy to say, well, that's what I'm doing with my child as I'm, you know, quote, disciplining them because I love them, even if it appears unloving, you know, right. and we could spend all day talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to know, so you were, you said that you were in evangelicalism for you know most of your life up until about a year ago what happened that began that transition out of evangelicalism
1: well I I used to think that God had just disappeared last January 2019 but as I am farther away from it and I look back at it more um I think that my faith started unraveling very carefully while I was in college, but it was only with the simple things like, um, what kind of music. I could listen to and what I could wear and stuff like that. Um, like, they were the simple things. And speaking in tongues. Like, I went to a fundamental independent Baptist church, and they frowned on charismatics. Like, I don't even think they thought charismatics were Christians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, because of the, the drum beats and stuff, you couldn't have that in your music. And, um, But so... When I started questioning, you know, well, the Bible doesn't exactly say tongues disappeared and it doesn't say don't dance and it doesn't say all these things that I wasn't allowed to do. So I questioned surface stuff that had nothing to do with, you know, Jesus and God and the virgin birth and Jesus being God and all that stuff. So I was still kind of safe, even though I was pushing the envelope. And so that didn't feel threatening at all. And everybody still accepted me because people had their variety of beliefs right there. But mm-hmm. then, so, you know, it stopped there at safety, but then a few, about three years ago, I, um, I struggled with a severe case of depression and I had struggled with depression since I was like 11 or 12, but I had never told anybody cause I didn't know that's what it was because depression was a bad thing. Like it's because you're not following God you know, in psychi- psychiatrists and psychology and medicine for that was all frowned upon because if you're depressed and sad, you just need more Jesus. Right? right. So there wasn't an outlet for me for that. Cause I was doing all I could as far as God goes and it wasn't going away. So I did not get diagnosed with depression until after I had my second child and developed postpartum very intensely. And I had to go on medication. I did not feel, I did not feel okay at all. Um, So, anyway, three years ago, I knew that's what it was. And I struggled with depression and suicidal ideation like for two years almost every single day. And so I was in counseling for all that. And it came to be August of 2018. And I was talking to my therapist. I was with a Christian therapist because I wanted to make sure that, you know, since I was getting into the psychology world and I was still a Christian. I did not want to mess anything up, make God unhappy with anything new age or anything I shouldn't be in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So, so I was very careful in picking this person. And um, in fact, I had known them um, a while back just as an acquaintance. So I thought, oh, I knew where they had gone to church. So I'm safe. You know, this will be okay. Well, I asked him um, one day, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've been struggling with depression for a year. I don't understand why. What- I don't understand why, but I know that, you know, God's going to work this out for good <laughs> and uh-huh. he can take it away. But I see other people that are like Hindu or Buddhist or different religions and they have spiritual experiences just like me. I was like, if they can have spiritual experiences like me, but I serve the only one to your God, I said, what's going on with them? And in my head, I fully expected to say what I had always been told in my life, which is, oh, that's demonic activity. It mimics God's activity. And he didn't. He
0: Oh, said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It, my Christian therapist said, maybe it is God showing up in different ways. Who's to say he can't? And I was appalled I was just like oh oh, crap and right there a trap door opened up I hadn't fallen in yet but I was like what have I gotten myself into this person's letting me question and I didn't know it was the word for it then but he was allowing me to think critically and figure things out for myself which I had never been taught was okay yeah and so that was the beginning of the unraveling in August of 2018 and it all just kept slowly going downhill from there I put it away for a couple months I emailed him I was so mad I was like you're supposed to help me keep my faith (laughs) he's like I'm supposed to allow you to question (laughs) right right and looking back I'm so thankful for that um (laughs) it's radically changed my life in hard ways but good ways like I can think for myself well I'm learning to think for myself now (laughs) It's a very gradual process. <laughs> it is. Yes. But yes. so it kept going downhill. I tried to stop at progressive Christianity and it just kept slipping. And mm-hmm. cause I was, I was called a heretic, you know, the people that I was sure. studying and reading were called heretics. And so that made me a heretic cause I was trying to believe and hold on to what they were saying. I was like, why hold on to anything then if I'm not going right. to accept it either way, why even try?
0: But, yeah. It's really interesting because you know you're as an evangelical you're definitely taught that you know not only are you not taught how to think critically but you're also taught that doing so is um a form of rebellion it's a yes form of, you're right you know, how that. dare you yeah
1: and it made you feel so guilty mhm yeah and so
0: question- and yeah you're not supposed to question and yet nobody ever asks you um are you know have you thought about this whole thing about dedicating your life to jesus have you really thought this through you know because that's considered the the default faith is considered the default condition of humans by evangelicals when really it's quite the opposite faith is something that you know is earned it's not something that we should naturally default to and i think that Mm -hmm. for people who um who eventually come out of it, you know, looking back, you can see the the clues along the way that you just knew this wasn't right, but right. you didn't know why. You right. know, you had because you had never been taught. And more than that, you didn't want to face the fallout of what happens when you do start asking questions. And and, you know, you know what that's like. It's very hard to lose your community because you asked too many questions.
1: Well, you know, like being in a Christian school all the time and like being sheltered from public school and everything out there, like I didn't question whether or not it was right. I questioned, Mm. I didn't do that at all until a year and a half ago. I questioned Mm. what was wrong with me that I could hold on to or understand or grasp. like, like, why was I still struggle, struggling with depression when I loved God a lot? Or, you know, mm-hmm. I always rationalized that the problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't this absolute truth, because um, they interpreted the Bible like it is what it is. Like what it says is true. The Bible's true because it says it's true.
0: Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that circular reasoning that they use. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So, and I think that's probably. Um... You know, my experience, too, had a lot, you know, looking back, I can see that what I was actually doing was questioning the, you know, the structures that I'd been placed in, the the faith that I had been raised in. But at the time, yeah, it absolutely came off as what is wrong with me? Why am I not getting this? How come, you know, I'm doing all the same things this person over there is doing and they have it all together and I'm over here a mess. I'm struggling all the time. What am I doing wrong? And, um, it's, you know, because of that whole idea that, you know, the bi what the Bible says is true and we're not supposed to question it. And the Bible says a lot about joy in serving the Lord. And it's like, but I'm doing all the right things and I'm still yeah. depressed and I don't understand this.
1: Yes. And, so. and putting others first and yourself yes. last, which is horrible because if you don't take care of yourself, how can you ever take care of other people? But that spells joy. Yeah. Jesus
0: others right. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so it's so toxic. Yeah. Um as you moved through that unraveling phase though, you did, right? And you you, know, you under, I understand you mentioned that you don't quite perceive it this way at, at this point, but at one point you you said that, you know, God disappeared. You just woke up one day and knew him. he was gone. What was that for you? Well,
1: so I remember November and December of 2018, I was reading all the progressive Christian books I could get my hands on to just hold on to my faith, view the Bible in a different way, because I knew I couldn't view it the same anymore because I had read. Um, like as far as literal a literal flood and literal this and literal that I had um, learned that different religions also had flood stories and virgin yeah. stories and crucifixion stories and some of those rigid religions even predated Christianity and that was my red flag I was like whoa something's not right here so but I thought okay well if I can take like Rob Bell and take a historical view of the Old Testament and say, okay, this is these people's perspective of what their tribe was trying to say that they thought their God was saying. Then I could make sense of the Old Testament by viewing it that way, the other, the way other religions had viewed their sacred text. Mm-hmm. And so, that's why I got labeled a heretic, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I just remember, okay, well... It felt like it kept slipping more and more. And one day in January, 2019, so just over a year ago, I woke up and I just felt the biggest darkness over me as in like, I woke up and I couldn't even process that there was a God anymore. I could not think about what happened. I could like, my brain felt numb. I couldn't sing. I couldn't pray. And like worship music used to be my favorite. I was in the band and everything at church. I played keyboard. And I, like, worship music was all I even listened to. And I couldn't have anything to do with it because I was like, there's something gone from me. Something has disappeared. And all I could chalk it up to was whatever this God was, he's gone. He's disappeared. And there's nothing I can do about it. And so I was hoping that over, you know, the next couple months he would come back. So I had quit Sunday school because I was sick of the catty political talk. Um, and all this going off track in November of 2018. And so I'd quit that already, but in January or February, I walked away from life group cause I couldn't, I couldn't feel joy there anymore. And I was just like, I'm faking it. I can't, can't keep doing this. So the only thing I had left still was Sunday morning church where I was playing band and I kept moving forward. And I remember having conversations with my husband, trying to describe that God had disappeared and that I wasn't running And the best way I could compare it to was, well, if God, there was two different things. I was like, if God, if there is a God and he's not going to let me into heaven because of my inability to think a thought, which I can literally no longer think. I'm like, how cruel is that? That's not love. And, and then the other thing was, I was like, come, I was like, okay, let's think of a mentally handicapped person. They're not able to think on the level that the Bible is asking them to think. So are they going to stand before God someday? And he's going to say, sorry, you got to go to hell because you couldn't think the thought I wanted you to think. And because I literally couldn't think those thoughts anymore either. I felt like I was handicapped. And, and so I think that helped him grasp a little bit more what I was trying to say. I think that helped him to believe, okay, she's not running. She didn't make this decision. This just happened to her somehow. Yeah. And oh, and the other thing was MJ mentioned it, I think, in her interview with you is mm-hmm. I love my children so much, even on their bad days. How could a God ever send any of his children to hell for something they did in time? How could they, he punish them forever in eternity? Because I could never do that, even to yep. a murderer, even to a horrible person here on earth that did something, you know awful the worst of anything yes they need to be punished but for eternity like i can love people that much and i am a human there is no way there that i am created Mm -hmm. in the image of a god that could send somebody to hell
0: so Mm -hmm. god disappeared yeah (laughs) and yeah and and that's you know i think the concept of eternal conscious torment really is for a lot of us, the final straw, like when you really start thinking about what that means, because especially I think, well, if you have anybody in your, in your life that you love, it doesn't matter if they're your children or whoever they are. I i mean, if you know what it's like to love somebody, is there ever anything that they could do that would make you say, well, you deserve to suffer consciously Absolutely for all of she she did that? <laughs> No, and then you have to think well if i love people better than god does let's say even that this god is still there that god is not worthy of my servitude or my worship it's because they're cruel and they're it's abusive 100 percent. and especially when you consider that this god is supposedly the one who designed (laughs) the system (laughs) so essentially it's like so you you created people With the intent to let them suffer, but if they get their magic get-out-of-hell-free card, then you're good with them. It It just doesn't make sense, and it's not, you know, it's not the slam dunk that um, evangelicals want it to be to say, well, if you don't serve God, or, you know, if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, then you're going to hell. And my response to that has been, then so be it, because I will not um, bend the knee to a God who is that cruel. I just won't. But that had to be. I, I'm trying. I've never experienced what you've been through in so far as feeling like God just isn't there. I don't know if He's there or not. So, I mean, I can only imagine the emptiness that had to feel like after spending your whole life feeling like He's He's there, but even if you didn't understand Him, at yeah, least you it felt was, like He was it there. Was,
1: well, and it was all rationalized because you know, if you could understand God, He wouldn't be God, and so that wiped away. The questions weren't allowed, right. but yes, I lost my entire identity through all of that. And I lost it so deeply that I even changed my name legally. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's crazy.
0: Yes. So, yeah, you've been through um, a lot with your deconstruction. Um, I mean, how do you identify now? religiously and spiritually if at um, all
1: I don't identify you know I like to I like to identify as nothing really um because it's freeing not to have mm-hmm. a label <laughs> but I also yeah. identify yeah. I have several ways I identify I identify as open for what I'm open to what whatever I feel like believing on any given day you know um I identify as atheist because I do not believe in the God that I was raised with. And that was the one only true God. So anything else, even if it's energy or even if it's a source, wherever we came from, I can't call that God because to me, that's not what God was. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also claim agnostic. I use that hashtag too, because if you want to be agnostic and say, okay, well, there's something greater than me. There's something that connects us. There's a source, but it's not necessarily in charge of me. And I don't pray to it. To me, that's my translation of agnosticism. Um, So yeah, definitely, definitely not Christian. (laughs) But at the same time, I find truth in every different religion and philosophy. You know, like Jesus, the stories of Jesus, when he, you know, loves people and stands up for the underdog. Like, I embrace that, you know? And like, when you have stuff in Buddhism and Hinduism that, you know, and I don't know either philosophy very well, but it's just like, okay, you're strong enough. Look within yourself, you know? So I am enough like where I wasn't enough before I'm enough and I'm strong. Do I always feel that way? No, (laughs) not at all. But I have days where I realize who I really am. And I am an amazing person, not because of, because I'm me, because I'm human, not because of anything that I have to subscribe to but it's all within me if I can, right? if I can dig deep enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, you know, I'm very much the same way in that. I don't even know. I don't want to put a label on what I am now. I've had, you know, some people assume I'm atheist. Some people assume I'm agnostic. Um, Some people have even gone so far as to say, well, you haven't lost your faith. It's just changed. I'm like, no, trust me. It's gone.
1: You'll come come back around. We think you'll see the truth. You didn't know the real Jesus or you had religion, not a relationship.
0: That is a load of crap. Right. (laughs) It is. And it's so infuriating. It's like, how dare you dismiss my my lived experience because it doesn't fit your narrative. How dare you? Um. But, you know, my my perception of God changes every day, too. Some days I'm convinced whatever God is or was or what, you know, I just don't believe this thing called God is necessarily there. Then other days I think, well, maybe there is a God, but I don't think that this God has a lot of personal interest in me. He's just kind of there. And if God is there, I don't believe it's the God that I was raised to believe in at all. Because, you know, that God is, if you look at the whole pantheon of gods that exists, you know, that people believe in, which there are thousands of them, a God who behaves like the Christian God does is is pretty small and petty. And how can he be
1: all powerful And, and all knowing and still do everything he does in the name of, oh, well, I gave you humans free will but you're not right. capable of following your free will because yeah.
0: you need me. It, it it doesn't make Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And that series, I don't know if you have watched it or I not, haven't. Good I've Omens. Heard of it. <clears throat> oh, it's it's very good. It's on Amazon Prime. So I watched the series before I read the book, and I remember there was a point in the series where this child who turns out to be like the antichrist. Um he he essentially says, you know, God made people and then punished them for behaving like people, you know, and that is not a loving God. And <clears throat> that's where my conclusions fall time and time again, that even if let's, let's just say that the God we were raised to believe in is the one true God. And, you know, and we just sent ourselves to hell. Let's use mm-hmm. that idea. Um, That's a pretty right. terrible God. And, and it's just not one that, you know, I could ever, ever choose to acknowledge, much less serve or worship, and it it, it just boggles my mind constantly to watch the mental gymnastics yes. people will do to justify saying that is a good God. Because like, even in this book that you carry around, that you say is sacred and holy, it doesn't in any way describe a good God. It describes a capricious and vengeful God. You know who killed his own son to satisfy his wrath. And it's like, right. that's not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> but so you changed your name. Why Why well, did you change it? when your name?
1: I woke up and had lost my entire identity, I had nobody. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't talk. You can't just talk to people about that, especially, you know, people that were your Christian friends. They're not going to understand. And so I did have a couple that I just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, talked. I was able to they were long distance and I was able to you know be like hey I want to pick your brain um because I knew those couple friends wouldn't judge yeah. me but um so I created a fake Twitter profile cuz I was in search of people that I needed to find people that could understand I needed to figure out what happened to me cuz I was a wholehearted bible believer right. Bible thumping (laughs) Christian my entire life. Yeah. And how was it all of a sudden gone when I had loved God so passionately? Yeah. And, and so I went to Twitter, created a fake profile name under Kayla Joe. KJ was my initials um, from my old name. My old name was, my birth name's Kimberly Jean. And, and so I created Kayla (laughs) Joe and made it so that nobody could find me Mm -hmm. on Twitter and I used hashtags. I found ex evangelical and ex Christian, and I started friending people and searching what they were saying um under those hashtags and like they, they were, there were there's some amazing people there, like I don't know like if you've heard of David Hayward or Clint heacock um with mindshift podcast and like they talk to me in private messages. Like they would talk to me for an hour and, um, like, just talk me through stuff and let me know I was going to be okay. And, um, so like, and then there would be, you know, Kayla, Joe, this Kayla, Joe, that, and, you know, as we would all keep talking and I had, (laughs) um, I don't know, I think I've got somewhere just under 200 followers now that, you know, we'll randomly talk back and forth. And so I the real me like Kimberly in my head had died like the on Facebook I was still Kimberly and I was trying to progressively be or be a progressive Christian on Facebook just to kind of say hey something's changing here but they didn't have any idea what was going on but the real me Kayla Joe was just interacting with other people that had gone atheist or agnostic like me on Twitter and and so I found one day in therapy I told my counselor I was like I identify as Kayla Joe now like when I'm thinking about myself you know how sometimes you'll think your name like hey I'm Stephanie I'll think I'm Kayla yeah. Joe. and I'm like crap I'm not Kayla Joe. there's some there's some real cognitive dissonance going on here. <laughs> What <the laughs> do I do about this? yeah anyway <laughs> yeah. so it got to be June and I was like you know what if because you know it's it's just dis- I don't even know what the word is. It's horrifying losing your complete identity and not knowing what you can do about it and knowing that you can't get it back. Um, oh, I forgot to say, cause I left the church in March 29th. Um, and oh, so, okay. cause I knew that was when I was like, okay, I threw in the towel. I was like, this is not coming back. I've got to be done. I've got to quit trying to hang on. And so in June yeah. it was still gone and I was like, okay, well, if at the end of June I still have the guts to wanna change my name to Kayla Joe, then I'm gonna do that because everybody mm-hmm. that knows me and accepts me where I'm at, then that that's who I am to them anyway. So I thought it would be the transition. So sure enough, right. end of June came. I still wanted Kayla Joe. It was gonna cost me three hundred dollars. And so I went on Facebook and sold a bunch of larger items in my house and I made exactly $300 in a weekend or in 24 hours. And so, you know, when we were wow. Christian, we'd have been like, that's a awesome. God thing. And like, no, there's something else going right. on here other than a God thing because this just happened to me. And the person, one of the people that bought my stuff, her name right. was Michaela. I was like, it's a sign. <laughs> so anyway, oh. yeah, my court date was yeah. August 2nd and I changed it to Michaela Joe. Cause I like options. So I go by Micha- or Kayla or Kayla Jo. Yeah. But yeah. And some people still call me Kimberly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but anyway, once I changed that though, it was one of the most empowering things ever. And I think that's what helped me to let go of the past and be like, okay, this is a second half of my life. This is a new me. I, you know, I can learn from the past. I don't hate it, but I don't want to raise my kids that way or stay there. I, I give my kids a choice. Like my husband's go yeah. my husband goes to church still. Mm-hmm. The kids can go to church with him or they can stay home with me. And it depends on the Sunday. Sometimes they choose one, sometimes they choose the other. But I love that they're allowed to decide who they want to be.
0: So Yes. I've I've done that with my son too. I don't go to church. And when he was younger, um sometimes he would want to go to church with my dad. And I would let him do that. I mean, he's outgrown that he has Uh no interest in going now. But I think it is important to let your kids choose because otherwise you fall into that trap of being just as dogmatic about not believing as, you know, our parents were about making sure we shared their beliefs. And I never want it to seem like I'm choosing for him. Um, Kids, you know, again, we get back into that. Kids are people. And as much as I don't want choices imposed on me, I don't want to impose things like that yeah. on him either. Um, yeah. There, as far as, I mean, with your name, I mean, there's definitely a a before <laughs> and after. Yes, there is. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I think back on life as an evangelical. I mean, it's like I was a whole completely yeah. different person. Seriously. Kimberly and Kayla
1: do not get along. Yeah, and
0: there's, (laughs) no, no. I mean, I think about the things I used to believe, the things I used to say and would justify because that's what my belief tells me. And I mean, it's like, it's just looking at a completely different person. And I I look at that person that I was um, even 10 years. I mean, people are changing all the time, but even 10, 11 years ago before my son was born, I think about that person who, at that time, I was fairly well into deconstruction, though I hadn't yet said no more church or anything like that. And even that person, I think, wow, you right. just had no idea. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you expressed, you know, my faith was kind of in its death throes, and I was just trying very yeah. hard to hold on to it because once you step outside of that, and you have to figure out who you are without all of those things telling you who you are. That yes, can be like a be terrifying. You
1: don't have anything at all to grasp back onto. Yeah.
0: Yes. That's exactly what it feels like. And... There aren't going to be a lot of people who understand, like maybe in your physical space, right. there are not going to be a lot of people who are going to understand or be supportive, but thank God for social media right. or thank whoever's out there for social that. media. <laughs> <laughs> I know I say things like if somebody sneezes and I'm like, bless you. And I'm like, what, why did I just say that? I mean, but we, we say yeah. these things and then, you know, you have to double back <laughs> like, Okay, I'm not going to go into this long explanation (laughs) with this person who just said bless you. (laughs) (laughs) They don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But, you know, social media, though, I think that has been such a gift for people who are in deconstruction because it is so isolating in your physical spaces when you're deconstructing because you've lost your church family you've lost your christian community in a, in the eyes of a lot of people you've lost validity of any kind they don't want anything mm-hmm. to do with you you're perceived as a threat now by a lot of people um they don't perceive you as a trustworthy person anymore all because you change your beliefs or at the very least said i i don't know what i believe yet right. but i don't believe and that's you not believe okay with them. anymore it's really not. And I, I don't know if people who've never experienced it understand what that's like, but it's, and you know, you and I both posted about this on Facebook a few days ago, it is so much more than just choosing to go to church. Um, it is, you know, it really is just, it's, it's a loss. It feels like a death in so many ways, because it's like this whole way of life died and you're grieving that loss. Mm -hmm. sorry i had a message pop in yeah oh that's okay um and how about i mean um we didn't talk about this beforehand but so have you found yourself in a in like a season of grief or it's like a roller coaster what were you gonna say was there more to that sentence Mm mm-hmm Well, you know, some people would say that they're just so relieved to be out of that, that they don't feel any grief. And I know there are days, you know, even still to this day, years later, when I kind of grieve that I don't have that. Yeah,
1: it's a roller coaster for me. Some days I'll feel relieved and excited that I get to create myself and I get to do with my life, whatever I want to do with my life and whatever I want to make of it. But I still occasionally struggle with depression and so, even though most of it, like yeah. the guilt, the false guilt, left when I left religion, and the depression did too for a while. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I have always struggled with the depression, and your body holds on to it. And so, even if it is from religion, I still have stuff to work through. Um, but so, mm-hmm. let's see. What was the question
0: <laughs> about? Gr- <laughs> um, I I was asking you if you ever uh, yeah. feel grief. It Like, that when I
1: first left, I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry at anything or anybody. There was nothing to be angry at. It just disappeared and I wasn't running, you know? Um, but now, as I analyze things more and as I process things more randomly or something triggers a memory and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, it can make me angry. Not at... A person, but at the system, at the thought that I, as a three year old, Mm -hmm. was shaking and wanting Jesus to desperately come into my heart, and I didn't know if he would hear me and I could go to hell. And that my body has yeah. been in an upregulated state, literally shaking off and on all my life over fear of my eternity and the rapture, you know, where mm-hmm. is Jesus coming back today? You're supposed to be living your entire life where if Jesus comes back today, if you're not serving him, when he comes back, then, you know, he's going to be disappointed in you. And so there's a grief and an anger yeah. over not being able to for my identity as a child, but then it's redeemable. Because now I can help people who have been where I'm at. So do I want to go through it again? No. And do I like what's going on? No. (laughs) But I have such a deep understanding of how painful it can be, even to the thought of suicidal ideation as a Christian and as a non-Christian, that I have a lot of power to help people in the future with, you know, making it through this process.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, that that in itself is such a, a redeeming factor in all of this. Um, you know, like you, I would never want to go through it again. But it almost—I kind of—I I hesitate to say I don't like when people say, "Well, it makes it all worth it if I can help just one person." <laughs> I don't know that it necessarily <laughs> does. <laughs> I, mean, <it's> worth it. <laughs> I used to believe that, but now I'm like. There wasn't any other way that person could be helped. You know, <laughs> right, right. But I will say if anything good can be pulled out of it, right. I'm grateful for that because, um, you know, it is a hard thing to go through and it, it's mentally and emotionally and really physically devastating both when you're steeped in that evangelical um <laughs> cesspool, I guess. And then when you come out of it, I mean when you're when you're living in it, that guilt just yeah. never okay. goes hard away. And that, yeah, there's it so much shame. Else up, so. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh my gosh, you know, thinking it was normal to be living in a fight right. flight or freeze mode right. all the time. You know, with between worrying about your eternal salvation, worrying about rapture, worrying about am I witnessing to my God's friends enough? <laughs> well, right. Um, that takes such a toll yeah. on people um, that it's just not a normal thing. And I have been seeing more people begin to recognize that, that there are a lot of people who come out of those fundamentalist environments who, who display symptoms, not unlike PTSD, you know, you know, go ahead, because it's a, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, it's a trauma.
1: It's funny because when I was still a Christian, I was seeing a therapist that had said to me, she's like, she had only seen me for a couple of months. She's like, you have a lot of symptoms of some pretty good PTSD and I cannot figure out where they're coming from. Well, now I know, Mm. like, cause I had no one single event Mm -hmm. to give me PTSD, but when you have those events happen over and over, I guess that's what complex PTSD is. Um, but yeah. And then one Mm -hmm. of my more recent therapists said that, you know, I fit that to a T like you look at symptoms of religious trauma, when you Google that online, and like I have yeah. like almost every single one of them, I get a trophy, right? But yeah. it, it is it can be yeah. hell trying to live <laughs> through all that in your body when you know things should be different, but your body and your mind are still telling you,
0: "Well, this is what you were taught. This is how you were raised." Yeah. Hmm. It's amazing how our bodies hold on to those memories even after we even long after we've stopped consciously right. thinking of them. Um. I have heard many stories of people whose health conditions have improved dramatically after choosing to leave their fundamentalist religions, even if they, even if they kept their faith, but found a more um, affirming circle to practice their faith in. Um, a lot of the physical symptoms of trauma, um, Do dissipate over time. I want to be cautious because I don't want people to think if they're still struggling after they've left their faith or at least the harsher versions of their faith that it's their fault. I mean, trauma happens to you. It's not something that you choose. And, you know, your body's response to trauma is not something anyone is to be faulted for. I just want to make that really clear because there are ableist, uh, there is a lot of ableism and sometimes in the discussion of how people handle trauma, you know, if you would have done this, this, and this, then you'd be feeling better, but you didn't do right. that. So now look at you, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. And I just want to make that super clear for anyone who's listening and might still be struggling. It's not your fault. And there's no blame to be placed. And I would
1: definitely recommend like, if you can find a good therapist in your area, who's not Christian, (laughs) who can work with trauma, uh check that out. Although even Uh if they're secular, that doesn't necessarily mean they're safe because secular therapists can push other philosophies on you too, that you're not ready for, because really most therapists don't understand religious trauma. And,
0: so it's hard. Right. It's hard to feel understood there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I post the description of this video or this, you know, conversation, I will be including um, some recommendations for people who do need uh, a therapist who's well versed in religious trauma. They, they are. are out there. They're just <laughs> hard to find. So, yeah, but some people have um, been so gracious as to put together a resource to help you find. A therapist that can help you with specifically with religious trauma. So I'm going to find that and put that in the episode Very description um, for anyone who needs it. So you, um, well, let me ask you this first: in your day to day life, what has changed since? Well, you do left? you want the
1: positive or the negative first?
0: <laughs> um, let's okay. go with positive. Well, with the positive, One
1: thing my teenager told me a few. Well, just yesterday, I think it was, but she's told me that several months ago too. Um, she told me that she, she's adopted, I adopted her three years ago. And she told me that she used to not yeah. like me. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and anyway, she goes, no. <laughs> but after you left the church, everything changed. And she, oh. her and I just click like never before because leaving religion radically changes your parenting And how you love more and you Mm -hmm. judge less. I mean, when I was in religion, I thought that I loved a lot and that I didn't judge. But it wasn't until I stepped out of it Mm -hmm. that I realized that the whole world of humanity opened up to me. And how every person is human and they're not a project. And so, you know, I no longer saw my foster adopted daughter as somebody that I needed to tweak to make sure she turned out perfect. I can accept where she's at. I can let her make right. mistakes. I can give her all the freedom in the world. And she'll. when I do that, the more freedom I give her, the more she comes to me and opens up me and shares conversations with me because she doesn't have to hide. She's going to do what she wants to do right. regardless. But when I give her the freedom to do it, then it's a whole new relationship. So it's definitely changed yes. my relationship with, um, with them and how I judge people in general less and accept everybody mm-hmm. except the people that try to control me I do not accept them <laughs> I cut them out yeah. of my life fast in fact when I um told my story on Facebook I actually had to get rid of two to three hundred evangelical friends um just to oh, be wow. just to feel safe because so many of them were just stalking me in right. the background you know you should see them in your stories and stuff yeah. like that and I'm like no, we're not doing this because you might be talking to my parents. And... <laughs> so, right. no. Yeah. Um, so that's wow. the
0: positive.
1: The mm-hmm. negative would be that um, my relationship with my family is different. My parents think that I'm not going to church mm-hmm. because I'm, I don't want to hear from God. They think I'm a prodigal. They yeah. say God's going to get me good and judge me harshly. And they say that there's nothing left to talk to me about anymore. Mm-hmm. So we rarely talk. Um, oh, yeah. That's so um, sad. And that it is sad because, you know, a girl wants nothing more than for her, her mom and even her dad to be her best friend. But when you can't accept your child where they're at and. Right. And you. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't yeah. work out. I think my mom's been trying more lately with text messages, so that's encouraging to me. But I'm also cautious and careful because, yeah, I love them, but I don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> I don't want to back into where I was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. another thing that really hurt my relationship with my parents was when I started when I told my parents that I had couldn't have any faith anymore that I couldn't believe um, they texted my husband behind my back and asked him if it was because I was a lesbian. They asked if I had lesbian. Oh my gosh. I was leaning that direction. Well, at the time, you know, we were still, we still had the Christian filters on his phone. (laughs) And so my dad had texted my husband and the text came to my phone and I got the text before my husband even did with my dad asking, if I was a lesbian God. and I screenshot oh, it. Oh my I was like, oh, gosh. gee, da- God, dad, <laughs> I was like, what if I was, you know? Because like, like yeah. I said, I don't judge anybody anymore. I believe people are born the way that they're born. I went to my friend's lesbian wedding last summer in place of her family. Like, I am fully accepting. But my parents were not. And to accuse me of that to my husband instead of asking me, I was like, why wouldn't you ask me? And my dad goes, well, I just wanted to know how to pray for you. Well, so ask me, dad.
0: Oh, my Lord.
1: If I'm a lesbian, if I'm a lesbian, I will tell you that I'm a lesbian. (sighs) If I'm not, I will tell you that I'm not. But that's why I can't have a relationship with them. Because everything that matters is a prayer request to somebody else. Or, you know, you just, you can't, you can't do that. (laughs) So that no. that would be the negative no, out of can't. that. But I think I'm pretty much healing from that. It is what it is.
0: <laughs> that would be a very um, unsettling <laughs> experience, <laughs> a very shocking experience. Uh, I mean, I would, good lord, and there it is again. Up, good lord, you would
1: but not ask me. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. So I, I blocked them from Facebook. Oh my gosh. And then six months later this fall, I asked them, I was like, Hey, I really want a relationship with y'all. If I let you back on Facebook, do you promise to talk to me first about me before you talk to anybody else? And they're like, We don't want to make any forced promises. And so oh my goodness. I was like, Okay. They told me they felt like I was controlling them. And
0: I'm like, No, these are just boundaries. Oh <laughs> right. Boundaries are not control They're Oh my gosh. But that is a very typical attitude um, from that culture. You know, they feel entitled to get into everyone's business and then they call it. I was just, you know, I just (laughs) wanted to know how to there. At
1: least we understand where they're coming from and we know they're not capable of thinking outside of that box. They're blind. So it gives me a compassion back for them. It hurts. But at the same time I have to have that boundary. It's okay to put boundaries up with your family is what I've learned. It sucks, but it's needed sometimes. mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is because, you know, I think that one thing that, you know, I have, I had to learn once I was out of that bubble was putting up boundaries with someone. It doesn't mean you don't love them. And it doesn't mean that you hate them and want to see bad things for them. It just means that for that person, they um, they make you feel unsafe, and you have the right, right to feel safe. You have the right to um, protect yourself. And I think you know because evangelicalism is so invasive in so many ways, um, and people really honestly do believe that they have an entitlement to every area of your life that they want to ask about. And because they're only asking as a concerned brother, right? Or they're concerned for your Christ, soul <laughs> because they want to know how to. Yeah, um, and I've, I've listened in <laughs> or been part of too many prayer chains um, because I know that a lot of times that's an excuse to just yeah. talk about somebody and people allow it because they don't want to, they don't want to tell somebody not to pray for them. Um, but that allows for a lot of boundaries to be crossed that shouldn't be crossed and most relationships are not crossed. So learning how to establish those boundaries is also, I think, part of the learning curve of deconstructing knowing that you are entitled yeah. to safety it's not about making them comfortable with it you are entitled right to they're safety. in charge of their
1: emotions you're in charge of yours and whatever you need to do to make sure you feel safe is completely
0: okay mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately it, it, it's also a very common experience where uh, people who come out of that don't have a good relationship with their family anymore and that's it is very sad, but sometimes it's also necessary. I don't think that you can always heal in the same right. place that made you sick. And for a lot of us that came from our families, um, our parents put us in situations that we should never have been put into. They did it out of love. They didn't do it with an intent to cause harm, but there right. was harm done. And part of the healing is saying some, for some people for now and for the foreseeable future, Right. I can't have you in my life because I well, am And the it's like, now. this is kind of an okay. extreme
1: scenario, but it's like drinking poison when you're trying to get better. You know, if you're letting toxic beliefs yeah. back in while you're trying to heal from a wound that is still festering, it's not
0: going to be able to heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's 100% true. Um, so your husband still attends church. How has he handled your deconstruction Well because <laughs> i'm asking not to not to tread on anything that's personal but there are a lot of people out there who one person is deconstructing and the other one is still attending church and their faith has not wavered yeah, I think and that those gets marriages very are supposed to end
1: in divorce right <laughs> most of them do um, however yeah. the husband is so he's so easy going for one but he's also when I first started deconstructing and I felt horrible um, about what I felt like I was doing to him, um, he had told me, I love you like Christ loved the church. I'm never going to leave you. Well, that didn't feel good because I felt like I was an obligation in a project. Um, and whenever I would bring up how I felt about something, he always had a Christian rebuttal telling me what the Bible really says. And so that was really hard. And so I quit mm-hmm. talking to him about spiritual stuff for months Um but now we're in a place where we, there's really, you know, now that I'm out of religion for a year, I really don't feel the need to talk to him about religion. We found that there's life outside of talking about spirituality. And so that's been huge. And mm-hmm. one thing, it's, it's awesome because one thing that he told me um, a couple weeks ago, he's, he's a videographer and um, I'm writing a book okay. and he has offered to create a book trailer for my book. For, for video. And I I asked him, I was like, how can you do that? How can you create a video for me that goes against everything that you believe and be okay with that? He's like, well, I'm not responsible for what you believe. This is your story, not my story. And I want to help you tell it. And I believe you when you say you didn't choose this. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, amazing. Oh, that's awesome. So much acceptance here. And so it, it's mm-hmm. just... Yeah, we're, we're in a really good spot now. Like, our marriage is better than it's ever been as far as how we fully accept each other. And, like, we don't fight. Like, it, it's just really good. Hmm. But, yeah, I got That's very fantastic. lucky having a husband yeah. who, you know, can go to church, you know, when he's off the fire department every couple weeks and not force the kids to go anymore. Like, he's grown a lot in the last year,
0: too. So, hmm. Well, that's amazing. I hear so many stories where it doesn't work out quite yeah. so well. And, you know, um, it's good to hear that it can work. And, and I hope that's encouraging to it's people hard. Who are Sometimes listening, it involves you know, not talking
1: about really yeah. and letting <laughs> time prove yeah. that you're still the same person, if not a better
0: person. Right. And I think that, I think there's a lot of truth in that. That A lot of times after you leave, you do become a yeah. better person because I, it's hard, I think, to be a very good loving person when you're um, like in high alert yeah. all the time, you know, you're always low key panicking all the time. And that really uh, affects how you deal with yeah. everything in your <laughs> life. When I was, you know, when I was still in the bubble, I couldn't make a decision literally to save my life. It was like. Yeah, I just don't yes. know what to do. And that affected Yeah, so everything. I went to therapy for so
1: they could tell me what to do, and then they wouldn't tell me what to do there either. Like, help
0: me. Right. What am I paying you for? Yeah. <laughs> tell me oh, what to do. What? You're yeah. paying
1: me to find the answer within you. I'm like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um all right so you mentioned your book can you tell us Um, all about that I
1: am writing a book called Dear Kimberly Love Michaela the unraveling of my evangelical faith into the unknown and a big chunk of it is it starts back in August of 2018 and Michaela starts out writing a letter to Kimberly saying, Okay, this is what you're going to go through right here. And she goes month by month by month as to mm-hmm. how all of my deconstruction played out. And then Kimberly writes back to Michaela month by month telling her, Oh my goodness, this is what happened. This is how it felt. And like, it's, it's kind of Michaela talking to me as to, to little Kimberly as you're going to be okay. This is what's going to happen as Kimberly freaks back out at Michaela, not understanding. Yeah. And then there's a little bit, mm-hmm. there's another part in there that talks exactly about how strict I grew up and what I went through with all that. Although I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say went through as far as, cause I thought I had a happy childhood. Like I enjoyed my childhood, you know? So, mm-hmm. but I look back on it and I see all the intensity of what I didn't have to go through if I wasn't in religion that was all inside of me. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. It's to hopefully help people um, know that there's somebody else that can relate to them by giving as many details as I can about my deconstruction and upbringing. So hopefully coming out, it should be coming out this spring sometime. So sometime between March and April.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's a, you know, the way you tell your story in your book and the way you share from your experiences in social media, I think that is so important to people, um, especially those who are early in deconstruction, because that is such a confusing time. And knowing, you know, hearing from other people that what you're experiencing is normal, you will be okay. Um, I think that is very validating and affirms for them that, um, you know, they made right. the right choice even if sometimes it feels like the absolutely wrong choice, you can make the right choice and it still doesn't yeah. feel good. And sometimes it doesn't you feel know? like it
1: even is a choice. A lot of like, that's what it was for me. Yeah. I felt like, you know, God just disappeared. It was gone. So.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we all live according to what we know right now. right? Exactly. You know, I, I, I think that there is a little bit of stigma attached in the, former evangelicals you know in the in the various communities um if someone hasn't completely renounced their faith and i think one of the reasons why it's so good to hear stories from all different kinds of evangelical or uh-huh. i'm sorry former evangelicals is that there's They're no not. one right way to do it um you know somebody who didn't experience the same thing you did um you know, their, their story, their deconstruction is valid. And then someone who did experience what you did with really just knowing that, that God they believed in is gone, their experience is valid. And that's why I love when people are writing their stories or sharing them on podcasts or however they choose to do it, because with so many people leaving the evangelical church and stepping into a world that they were never prepared for, it is so comforting to hear that other people have been that have been where you are and yeah, it's, a life-saver. it's gonna be okay. Um,
1: podcasts and social media is what definitely got me through. So
0: Yeah. I mean, when I first started there was no there was nothing. I can't like imagine what's out there would be now. So um, difficult. It was really hard because there really wasn't anyone right. I could talk to in my talk life. Um and then it's what's interesting is years later, um, through a, a few different social media groups that I've you know been part of and stuff, I found out that a lot of the people that I grew up with in church also had doubts and their faith was dwindling down to nothing too around wow. the same time that mine was. And I just think, yeah, it's been really fascinating. And I think how nice it would have been if we had felt free to but say you know, those things to do. each other. <laughs> But you're not, you're not, it's, it's to, to speak those things out loud in those circles is to risk excommunication. If you're a business person, your business is at stake. Your social standing is at stake. I mean, it can can cost cost you everything to say those things out loud. They say
1: you can ask questions, but their questions are always answered with, well, God says this, you need to be in the word more. Like there's not a critical thinking process involved.
0: So none whatsoever. Yeah. So it was um, it, it's been interesting, though, to see these these kids that I, you know, these people I knew when we were all children and how even though our lives took very different paths, we still arrived right. to the same conclusion about a lot of the things we were brought up to. Yeah, money. I have a few of those friends, too.
1: And it's, it's empowering. It's refreshing that we're not alone.
0: Yeah you know, yeah, especially if you still in your, in your day-to-day life have a lot of people who are part of it that are, you know, like my family just thinks that I'm a mess and I'm, I'm their project. Um, you know, my dad has expressed many times how he's very worried about my eternal Mm. destination, you know, and, and I think Uh when you love your parents, it, um, you know that they believe in hell. You know how they, you know, what they believe about how someone ends up there. I think that can be really hard too, to, you know, to know your parents are carrying that burden for you. And part of you wants to lift that burden and just tell them what they want to yeah. hear so that it, they can feel better, you know. And it's really, it feels good to have people in your life to say, you don't have to do that. That is, you know, that's their thought process that they need to work out for themselves. It's not up to you to make them comfortable. So, well, I appreciate you so much, Kayla Joe. And why don't you tell everybody um, where they can find you on social media? Because you do some amazing work on social media. Your posts reach people. (laughs) i try every time i hear that
1: it just makes me like when i feel like quitting like oh my goodness i can't take this like hearing that just makes me okay i can keep going this is helping people (laughs) um yeah i have a website where i post deconstruction stuff and it's com, and that's m-a-k-a-y-l-a And I, or J-O, <laughs> um, I am on <laughs> Facebook the most. And that's at Facebook.com backslash MikaelaJo0223. Um, I also have a secret group or a private group on Facebook called um, Evolve, Deconstruct, Change, Grow. And <clears throat> the way to find that, you do Facebook.com backslash groups, backslash evolve.deconstruct.change.grow um I'm on Twitter and Instagram a little bit but not a, not as much um that's at Kayla underscore Joe underscore one nine, 19 the actual number so I, th- I think I've covered everything there I try to be everywhere but it's hard
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and you also make um you've posted some yes, videos think, on YouTube. I
1: don't know exactly as well. What that, um, is. It's Kayla Joe McQuistian somewhere on Facebook. If you are on YouTube. Um, I don't know exactly what my YouTube is. I can try to look real quick.
0: Yeah. I, if you send me the link for that, I can also include okay. it in the description. Um, there, so there are multiple ways people can follow your story and, you know, stop by and talk to you if they need somebody. Um, But, you know, if you're out there in your early, well, at any point in your deconstruction, really, Kayla has got such an amazing way of expressing what it feels like in the moment as you're deconstructing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you really do. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm a little further along in the deconstruction than you are at this point. And so sometimes I forget what those early days were like moment by moment. And you have a way of capturing that, um, that I think people need to see that they know in this moment, this is what I'm feeling. Oh, thank you. And it's 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 so f- still it's that okay. it's really not hard yeah. to do. <laughs> Especially on those days where I'm like, oh my yeah.
1: goodness, am I okay? <laughs> Twenty four hours
0: later, I realize yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> well it's I mean Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you think about your step. You've just left something that really micromanaged every part of your existence, even your emotions, even your thoughts, and having to learn how to manage those on your own and to understand what normal really feels like. I think that in itself is a journey, and you you do you well, capture it so well. So thank you. For the thanks work for having that you me do. on your
1: podcast. I enjoy your podcast and
0: keeping up with you on social media oh, too. It's
1: been you. great getting to know you.
0: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you came by, and I'll have you on again when your book comes out. Um, for those who are listening, my book is available on Amazon in Kindle or paperback. It's called Raised Evangelical, Losing My Faith and Finding Myself. I am also on Twitter at Stephanie StephanieMick75, 75, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M-I-C-K-7-5. 75. Um, I'm also on the Facebook. I don't do that as much as Twitter because I sometimes enjoy a good Twitter. Twitter's very good for that. Um, <laughs> um, I do accept listener support. If you want to contribute to um, the work that goes into this podcast, you can find that on Patreon uh, at raised evangelical. And let me think. Have we covered it all as far as how to find us? I think us? we did think good. That we, we talked have. a long time. <laughs> we did. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope that this uh, these conversations are encouraging to you and help you find your way through the, the maze of deconstruction. Or even if you've been going through it a while and you just uh, need to be reminded that you are on the right track, I hope these conversations do that for you. May you go through the rest of your week feeling empowered and know that you are fully capable of making your own choices and blazing your own trail, and you are loved. I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.